You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Hi, this is Chris Claremont recommending that you take a listen to Epic Marvel Podcast. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Epic Marvel Podcast. I am your host, Curtis Findlay, and today I have an interview with Chris Claremont. This is the second time that he's been on the show. Last time we talked to him about Iron Fist, but this time we will be talking to him about Wolverine. And if you've listened to our episode, uh, Wolverine Episode 1, Madripoor Nights, then you'll be, uh, you'll, you'll have already heard a few of the clips from, uh, from this interview. But this is the full thing in which he goes in-depth into the development of Wolverine and the kind of the, the, the thinking behind um, his decisions on, on why he made Wolverine the way he is today, or what, how he's kind of developed. Um, and in fact... He talks a lot about how he uh, would have intended to, to develop Wolverine if he had stayed on, on that title and, and continued to, to work with the character, and including um, a storyline that he never got the chance to write. So that's pretty cool to hear. Head over to patreon.com slash thunderquack, and you will be able to uh, get a hold of some of our other exclusive interviews. If you pledge at $5, then you will uh, have access to that content, and you'll be able to help us by supporting um, the, the financial costs that it, it takes to keep podcasts running, and especially to keep them free for all of you guys. Um, if you have any questions or comments or, or um, suggestions or anything you want to chat about, you can email me at epicmarvelpodcast at gmail.com, or you can search us out on Facebook or on Twitter. And uh, yeah, check out the other episodes and enjoy enjoy the podcast. Uh, in the meantime, here is Chris Claremont talking to you about Wolverine. Since you were kind of there for Wolverine's mm-hmm. rise to fame, I was wondering if you could shed a little bit of light on why Wolverine is so popular. What What is it about him that made him su- such a standout character? Well, I think part of it is that he is, in many respects, the anodyne of what Charles Xavier preaches to the the, the student X-Men. He is not a natural-born man of honor. He is not a nonviolent person. He is, as Dave Cockrum and I evolved him over the course of our run on the X-Men, and then as John Byrne and I continue to evolve him over John's run, he is significantly older than all of the other X-Men. He has a life experience that is unlike any of theirs. And in terms of his inherent character, he is fundamentally and continually in conflict with himself. There is... And bearing in mind this is my perspective from my 
evolution of who and what he is and where he came from, which is substantially different from what evolved into, I guess you could one could call traditional Marvel origin tropes. Mm, yeah. For, in, from my perspective, he is he is a, a a man in conflict with himself by virtue of the fact that half of his persona and his physical abilities are derived from his father, i.e. Sabretooth, yeah. And half is defined from his mother, who in my conception was uh, the fallen angel Seraph, who runs the Princess Bar in Madripoor. Mm. From that, you have, one has the reason why he is significantly height-challenged compared to Sabretooth. <laughs> right. But also why, in my in my presentation of the character, every year on his birthday, Sabretooth shows up and basically kills him. <laughs> Happy birthday, son. Well, but for from Sabretooth's perception, this is a rite of passage. Mm, right. He is totally aware of the reality, i.e., Logan has a healing factor that is as ruthlessly efficient as Sabretooth's own. So when one says Sabretooth kills him, he gets better. And Sabretooth knows this. But from his perception, if you're my son, then the only way you get to be top dog in the pack is by getting rid of the top dog in the pack, which is me. Ah. And until you can do that, I'm not going to give you any respect. Isn't that interesting? Uh, Especially if you refuse to do that. And it's even, from Sabretooth's perception, Logan is even more of a blot on the family escutcheon because, not simply because of his height and and his flawed attitude, i.e. a sense of morality, but also because he's a cyborg, thanks to the Weapon X foolishness. Right. He has adamantium bones. He has the adamantium claws or adamantium lace bones. So he, as far as Sabretooth's concerned, Logan is broken goods. From Logan's perspective, he is torn between the half of his persona that is derived solely from his father, which is he's a a kick-ass hellraiser, i.e. if you look at his any room he lives in, Half of it is a total, if you'll pardon me, Americanism shite hole. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and the other half derived from his perception of fulfilling his mother's aspect of his persona, i.e. in him it's epitomized by the essence of Japanese slash samurai culture, is is almost a perfect symmetry of, of form and substance. Hmm. Yeah. It is simple, it is unique, it is clean, it is es- essential. And that's that's the battle that is always going on with him. There's a part of him that wants to be the the passionate but honorable mate of Mariko Yashida, but the other half of him is even more passionately bound to, to Phoenix, hmm. or more importantly, Dark Phoenix. He wants to tear the universe, the omniverse to shreds, because that's that that's the way to win his lady's heart. And he is constantly in conflict and it drives him absolutely effing crazy. <laughs> yeah. Which is about as brilliant a presentation for a character in a, 
in a melodramatic dramatic setting like the X-Men as one could get. So everything, for me at least, defining about Wolverine, I mean, the Wolverine is, the two aspects of his life are his past, in terms of the details of his past, who I am, where I came from, he doesn't care from my way of thinking. Uh, he, he has no interest in his origins. He knows his origins. He has, you know, as far as where the claws came from, the fact that he doesn't know doesn't bother him. They're here. He will deal with it. He isn't interested in getting revenge unless, of course, the person who did it is doing it to other people. That changes the, if a person indeed did it. He's, his focus is on the present and what is yet to be. Getting, in this instance, the X-Men and, by extension, the New Mutants and all the, the students associated with Xavier School ready for whatever will come at them down the pike. But aside from that, let it, you know, he, he is not that concerned. Part of that is, is solipsism on my part. Basically, I did not trust myself to come up with an origin that was so unbelievable and unique and and absolutely kick-ass that, that I wanted to risk it. And the other half of me was that even if I did come up with that, in 10 years it would be stale. Right. And someone would want to change it. And the minute one starts to do that, it's sort of like, Peter and Mary Jane, Peter Parker and Mary Jane getting married was a brilliant idea the day it happened. The day after it happened, everyone's going, oh, my God, what do we do now? He's just become as boring as Reed and Sue. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm sorry. Once you're married, in comic book, in a superheroic comic book context, the game is over. You are now involved in raising a family. The emphasis shifts from the husband and wife Reed and Sue, to uh, to what's his face Franklin um, Franklin Franklin and by extension uh, Valeria Valeria yeah and while that's while the FF can indeed be the exception that proves the rule rule to do it to Peter Parker you're taking a really really big risk because again what are you going to do ten years later fifteen years later. When you suddenly want to, you know, suppose Peter meets a cool character and wants to date her. What does that suggest to Mary Jane, the relationship with Mary Jane? Oh, exactly. You know, sustaining a, a marriage is a whole different equation. Ideally, Peter Parker, at least in my vision, you know, he's dealing with the first years of the university. That's kind of cool. That relates to the readers. But... If you suddenly look around and say, hey, Peter and Mary Jane have been married for a decade, then it's, well, how come they don't have any kids? Wait, does that mean Peter's now 30? Yeah, right. Yeah, all of a sudden he's not, uh, not the age of the readers. Well, he's A, not the age of the readers, and B, when you're 30 years old and running around in a spider suit, you are making a totally different philosophical and practical moral statement than when you're 18 and running around in a spider <laughs> yeah, suit. I guess so, yeah. I mean, no, that was the whole point in the X-Men of, of marrying Scott and Madeline. It was my way of saying Scott has reached a point in life where being a superhero is not the center of his existence. He is moving on from that point. As 
theoretically all X-Men should, at some, other than perhaps Charlie and Logan, at equivalent points of their of their reality. So is that why you um, you never had Wolverine and Mariko get married? It was oh to, yeah, to keep him not so he wasn't tied much, down. It's, it's much more. Well, it's yeah. a much better. He had to prove himself to her. Now mm-hmm. she has to prove himself to him. But you don't you don't want it to end besides. You know, uh, I mean, Wolverine and Mariko is, a, is in a sense is a whole different thing because he is a significantly older character. Yeah. But the, the but the suspense, the what if, the tension is much more dramatically enticing. Much as I love to say, Honor Majesty's Secret Service should have been the movie was a brilliant movie. The only thing it lacked was Sean Connery. <laughs> but if we had gotten to the end of that. And Sean Connery and Diana Rigg had gotten married, you know, holy cow, what do we do now? Right. Why would, why would even Sean Connery break up with Diana Rigg or vice versa? I mean, yeah. you know, talking in terms of 1970 fantasies and how dare they kill her? On the other hand, if they killed her, then, then that would have made the opening of um, Diamonds Are Forever far more relevant having Sean Connery running around shooting people and saying, where he is Blofeld. Right. Yeah. You know, that, the, the thing is you, you want to define and focus and intensify the interaction and tension as much as possible. You, you know, you want to tease up to the very moment when it might happen and then try to come up with a plausible reason why it can't. Mm-hmm. So the reader will keep coming back and looking for more. You know, I'm sure that was the main reason why the creators of X Factor wanted to bring back Gene to to reestablish that trope. Uh, The problem was the cost to what had already been established in terms of of Scott's life was irreparable. Right. You know, but that's that's that therein lies the essence of comics. And and again, going back to Spider Man, suddenly you have that the the only way they can get out of this conundrum which is being married to mary jane is he gets he cuts a deal with mephisto yeah right (laughs) you know but that that's the kind of that is yeah that's those are things that should not happen with logan as far as he is concerned or as far as my perception of him is concerned there are two he has two women in his life there's mariko but above and beyond all else there is gene Mm mm-hmm and and that's it. And that he can't have either of them is sort of his tragic the cro- tragic cost, cross he must bear. On the other hand, the more crosses you can pile on his back, the better, because that's who he is. And <laughs> and part of what makes him cool as a character is the fact that he can deal with this, and and survive, and prosper. Whose idea was it to spin Wolverine off into a limited series, the one you did with Frank Miller? Uh, well, because we wanted to give it a try. And I had no problem with a limited series. And the, the, the chance to do it with Frank was just very, was just totally cool. Uh, the point with doing that series and doing it with Frank was to present an aspect of him that was totally unlike what we were used to seeing in the comics. Uh, in the sense of why is he who he is? Why is he the way he is? What makes him that kind of person? In much the same way that 
the the X-Men graphic novel, God Loves, Man Kills, was designed to epitomize everything you needed to know about the X-Men and their life and their reality and the consequences of what they do and the struggles they are engaged in. But if you never read any other Marvel's X-Men story ever, that would be it. You wouldn't need anything else. That gave you everything you needed to know. In a way, Frank's and my miniseries was intended to do pretty much that with Logan. If you never read another Logan story, this would be a really cool story. But because we were ruthless uh, capitalists, it was also intended to make you desire to see, find out what happens next yeah, and right. come back and read more stories by him Yeah, about Logan. And so, is that, is that where the, the Marvel Comics Presents stories came out of? No, that's where the, the, the sequel to that was The, the Wedding. The Wedding, in, right. In X-Men. Yes. Yeah. No, no, no. I mean, that, no. I'm just talking about in terms of it was, a, it was an ending. Bring Beer Elf to the wedding. Right. Yeah, yeah. The invitation <laughs> comes the... from the Emperor of Japan, and then they show up, and it's a, it's, Thanks to um, Mastermind, it's a disaster. Yeah. As far as, I mean, the, the, the struggle I had with Marvel was that from their perception, Wolverine was a, a product to be capitalized to, to the max. And I'd gotten into more discussions with, with retailers back then than I than you can imagine. Their attitude, one dealer in particular, phrasing it in terms of, as far as he was concerned, Wolverine stories were like shoving foie gras down a goose's throat, you know, fattening <laughs> him up to make foie gras. He would he would just go fill up the marketplace until the, the poor bird went pop. Right. Uh, and and if the re- and if the readers still wanted more, give them more. I'd like to talk to you about the chain of events that led to Wolverine getting an ongoing series. The ongoing or the or the um, the weekly? Um, yeah, well, I mean, both of those, basically. They kind of happened mm-hmm. around the same time. So what... Uh, well, one, one was to set up the other, yeah. Yes. So can you tell me a little bit about Wolverine going to Marvel Comics Presents? Well, basically, they wanted... Marvel wanted to get an ongoing Wolverine series. And my, my feeling was that was a mistake because my attitude was the best. For me, what would be best with Logan is to maintain the sense of mystery and uniqueness. So if we did a miniseries a year, four issues, six issues, we could do, we could spe- we could do really cool stories. You could get great artists different writers to do them, they would be an event. And everyone would look forward to it, and everyone would think, wow, this is really cool. The problem with a miniseries, the problem with an ongoing series is, especially with a character like Logan, who is incredibly popular, is it's only a matter of time before a monthly book, they start thinking, well, maybe we should do bi-weekly in the summer. Maybe we could do bi week maybe we should do two Wolverine series. <laughs> right. And well the problem then becomes 
how many stories do you tell? At what point does the action, as we discovered, at what point do the story arcs that Larry Hama and Mark Silvestri are doing in their run on Wolverine impact on the work that I'm doing with uh, Jim Lee and what have you in the X-Men? Right. Do they, you know, uh, does that mean I can't utilize Wolverine for any cool character revelations because that's the province of his own series? And is that what happened? Well, similar things happened years earlier when, when Len Wein was writing Hulk in Incredible Hulk and Steve Gerber was writing him in Defenders. Each of them felt they were the, the top dog uh, in the pack. And the other guy should pay attention to their continuity. Hmm. Right. And it, it, was, it was a continuous struggle with Shooter, Jim Shooter in the middle as editor-in-chief to keep them from killing each other, metaphorically speaking, because they were certain they were, the right, they were right and their, their decisions were legitimate and the other person should yield to them. And, you know, Len's attitude was, well, screw that. I'm writing, I'm writing the Hulk's book. I should have priority. And, of course, Steve's saying, well, no, but I'm writing, I'm writing the more creative, exciting Hulk of the Defenders, and why should we be second fiddle to you? And this, I worried about the similar things happening with, with Logan. Hmm, yeah. um, so that was why my instinct with the setup in the weekly and then with Wolverine itself was to do, was to go to Madripoor and set him up as a completely different persona than anyone was used to seeing in X-Men. I figured this way we could play with the aspects. If, if it's going to be solo and it's going to be focused entirely on him, then we can play with those things that were not practical in X-Men simply because we're dealing with 15 characters and there's only so much emphasis we can put on any one character in at any one point in the story. So we can go into relationships. We can go into backstory, not necessarily in terms of Logan wanting to find out what my ancestry is, but here we have a character who has been established as being around since the mid 19th century, at least, Clearly, he has left a trail that will be following him to the present day. He'll meet people. He'll do things. He'll encounter adversaries that will come ha- come back to haunt him in the present. Let's play with that. Mm-hmm. And so putting it on Madripoor was to put it in an environment that was unlike anything we had ever seen the X-Men in a regular basis before. And something I, I always liked as cool because this is me doing Terry and the Pirates. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, part Terry and the Pirates, part Maltese Falcon. And again, go the Princess Bar going into his backstory and seeing if, if I could have some fun and that we could entertain the readers. You know, for a while it worked. Again, as it got farther and farther along with his own series, the tendency I was more, I was always more interested in who and what and why he is. And a lot of other creators were more 
viewed him more as an action trope. He, you know, who can he fight? Who, how many can he kill? What's cool? Right. You know, let's yeah. get the claws out and slash people to death. Forgetting about the mystery you know, so, behind the character. Yeah. Well, mystery is easy when you know when you have all the, when you know all the answers, which I did. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Or when you're someone like Archie Goodwin or Larry Hama who can invent even more interesting answers. I mean, the thing with La- the, that made me absolutely mad with envy uh, in terms of Larry was coming up with LCD and, uh, you know, the, the little girl and the, the robot Wolverine, which oh, yeah. were just, oh, the girl was LCD and then the, the robot Wolverine would, were just the funniest things ever. Yeah. And so Mark was just <laughs> ideal for drawing that, which was so infuriating infuriating only because it's like why couldn't i come up with stories that would get you to do that stuff in the x-men damn it (laughs) oh sorry you're just not as smart as larry damn it so why did you put jessica drew as a supporting character in in the ongoing oh she was available yeah i you know i'd written i'd written spider woman for a long time and um it quite frankly gave him somebody interesting and different to talk to A, a, a foil to play off of Right. I mean, otherwise he's just standing around, look, you know, wearing an eye patch and looking snarly at people. <laughs> yeah. So the whole patch persona, <laughs> I just find it funny that uh, all it took was an eye patch. It's kind of riffing on the whole Clark Kent has glasses to cover up his secret identity kind of thing. Yeah. Well, why not? I yeah. mean, are you going to argue with him? No. Given his not. reputation and his temper? Exactly. I mean, the, the 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 other side of the coin was I wanted to play around with elements of of s- social disruption in the sense that Madripoor, the idea Madripoor High Town on the bluffs overlooking the harbor, was the quintessential mid late twenty first century technopolis. You know, all you have to do is, but there's a new. Uh, I think iPhone commercial set in Shanghai where they just, you know, you've got this couple going through the city, taking photographs, but the backdrop, the, when you, what you see across the river, the, the high rises, the, the, the visual design, the industrial design that goes into mm-hmm. downtown Shanghai nowadays is just breathtaking. Yeah. As, as it is with Hong Kong. Um, that was that was what I wanted with with High Town, but then you go down into Low Town, which is the the waterfront, the actual waterfront, and there, the essence for me was nineteen late nineteen thirties classic Hollywood backlot mystery dive, all shadows all the time, even in high noon, windy streets water everywhere, sinister people, even if they aren't, they just have that look. Mm-hmm. The kind of place where anything can anything creepy can happen, where you expect it. Where you go down there for an adventure and as the saying goes, shite happens. And again, it's the dichotomy and, and the, the fun part for me was that Logan could work e- could go either way. You know, this is the only time we ever see him in a in a dinner jacket. Right. You know, if, if Humphrey Bogart if Humphrey Bogart can do it, why can't he? And yet he can go out there and literally rip the living. You know, that's why again the first the first issue of 
the the ongoing series was him going to the rescue of a hijacked jet and literally the classic shot of him standing on top of a pile of dead terrorists right you know basically saying who's next yep you know this is not this is not a kinder gentler logan this is like he kicks ass and takes names but there are surprising sides to him and this is designed to play with that now that was my vision of surprising things he could play with whether that that enthusiasm was echoed by editorial or marketing or the readers is a whole different series of questions that you might be better off asking the you know the editors involved and the readers back then or the retailers was, but it was what I wanted to do and I figured screw it what was the response to uh, the Wolverine ongoing series I mean, it lasted for, what, a couple of hundred and something issues, so I guess it was pretty good. Not with me, of course, but with others. <laughs> yeah, you only stayed on for a few issues. Was that just um, you wanted to get it up and running and let someone else have it, or did you... Well, it was getting it up and running, and then X-Men was eating up more and more time. Yeah. And uh, things mm-hmm. at Marvel in, in the late 80s, and, and especially once we got into the 90s, were getting really tense. Yeah in terms of my relationship with the ex-canon, with, you know, I was trying to hold on to, to Excalibur. You know, New Mut- Weezy was doing the New Mutants. Um, we were trying to establish all sorts, you know, I was, we were trying to branch out and get movies launched. And, uh, you know, I was trying to run a, a whole bunch of, hold on to a whole bunch of things. And, and when the Exxon went to uh, 16 issues a year, or 18 issues a year, it just got crazy. Right. Yeah. Something's got to so, give. So uh, something had to give, and, and unfortunately, Logan was it. Which you weren't totally sold on have him having his own book in the I, first well, place. Well, I, I came back with the 100th issue, or 125th issue. That, that, I had a quick arc then when I came back to Marvel in 98 as editorial director, VP editorial director. So I did a five, you know, like a five-issue run that, that started out fun and then didn't quite close out the way any of us wanted. But that wasn't, you know, it just, the, that was a, a problem with getting artists committed to a project and actually doing the project. Oh. Which was as much of a challenge then as it was 20 years earlier as it is today. Yeah, yeah. Um, I felt like the um, that John Buscema and Klaus Janssen did a, a really good job of establishing this kind of dirty, gritty feel of Madripoor. Well, I think part of it for me was I wanted the chance to try things with John that having watched him draw for 30 years and more especially watched what he drew on the backs of the artwork pages. Oh, yeah. The throwaway warm-up sketches he would do on the backs of pages were just awesome. I mean, you have no idea of how how skilled and varied and eloquent he could be mm-hmm. from his from just the comic book, from the published comic book material. And I wanted to give it a try and see what would happen. And again, we he started out in in Madra Four Nights, the um, the ten part six page weekly. Yep. For me, that was my my attempt to do a 1930s weekly uh, movie serial, you know, and uh, w- which in turn set up the whole dynamic in Madripoor where you have 
Tiger Tiger, where you have the infamous gang of uh, fixers, Landau, Luckman, and Lake, the interdimensional fixers. Right. You know, put all the characters in place and then just have some fun. And the idea with with Madripoor Knights was to put Wolverine through a classic Hong Kong sort of chopsaki samurai odyssey where he gets the living daylights beat out of him, where he almost dies, and where I and indeed that this was again the origin of the eye patch is that um the villain or the, the um Rock? Or not Rock. Uh, no, well Locks uh the the girl, uh, what's her face? Um, Sapphire. Well, I mean, the point was Wolverine. You know, he got his eye gouged out, so it had to grow back. That, hence, that was the origin of Patch. Yeah. And he just kept he kept the disguise. But uh, no, I, I figured this was a chance to show Logan from a, a folk, with a story that was focused totally on him, but also to show him from a perspective that the reader ideally would not be used to seeing, which is Logan at risk mm-hmm. up against someone who who has done him harm and having to find a way to win that involves not just beating the living daylights out of the bad guy, but being smart. Um, I like the setup where he tried not to use his claws as much as he could to keep his identity a secret, which meant he had to rely well, on other yeah. skills there. But that, that was always my... I mean, that that goes back to a scene... I did in early burn issues where Aurora just tears into him after he's killed a bunch of, of bad guys. And she, she just says, look, you, you know what you can do. You've got adamantium bones for crying out loud. You're, you're virtually invulnerable. You don't need the claws. You can use, you can take down the villains without killing them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this, this sort of derives in, in a way from, Shooter's Diktat, that, that when we were doing the Hellfire Club saga and Logan comes up out of the water and there's a, a cadre of Hellfire goons and he just... The only thing missing is the realistic portrayal of what happens after he slashes them open with his claws. I eat his blood all over the place. Uh, but the code wouldn't allow us to do that. And Shooter wanted us to establish at some future point that Xavier had all, all the 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 goons that Wolverine fought were in were in a hospital paid for by Xavier healing from the wounds that Wolverine had caused to establish he didn't he was non-lethal he was just incredibly injurious right whereas John and I and Louis Simonson both looked we all looked at each other and said no he killed him (laughs) yeah I mean, no, Logan is not, he is not merciful. He is, he is lethal weapon. Yeah. Uh, you know, he, you know, if they're dead, you don't have to look over your shoulder. Right. Yeah. So, but the idea in Madripoor was to, to find different ways to play, to play with the trope. Uh, part of the thing was when we had uh, Jessica and Lindsay in Madripoor, and Wolverine got possessed by, I don't know if it was Ogun, but somebody. And suddenly, you, the guy, the, the deadliest killer in the world is suddenly the bad guy. Yeah. One of, this is one of the original stories I had in mind that got rejected before I left. 
and then got used four years later by a different Brit, which is I wanted to have the X-Men going up against the hand. And at one point in the, the struggle, Wolverine goes up against Lady Deathstrike and she kills him. This was, this was how the whole Madripoor arc that I was doing in X-Men, where, where Jubilee rescues Wolverine and she's trying to get him back to the, to the team before, mm-hmm. all hell, you know, before he dies. Yeah. He's dying. He's dying through that whole sequence. And finally he comes up against Deathstrike and she kills him. And it's like, wow, I've killed Wolverine. I've proved myself the superior samurai. Whoopee! And then she turns around and the body's gone. What happened to the body? Well, the hand got it. Next thing you know, and this was my pitch was that he would be off off the board for three months. I was my original pitch was six, but three months, and then suddenly there would be a new master assassin of the hand, who was incredibly lethal and unstoppable and remorseless and everything, and gradually the X-Men would come to realize that the new leader of the hand, the master assassin is Wolverine. He was dead. They resurrected him. Now he's killing for them. Perfect. And the, the, the struggle for the X-Men is we gotta, we gotta stop him. How do we stop him? We gotta kill him. How do we kill him? This, you know, there is a, a struggle in which in the course of it, the adamantium is torn out of, of Wolverine's body which then reveals, A, that his, his organic bones are almost as strong, and B, he has claws. Right. A bone. But the ultimate end of it is gradually what the reader would become aware of is his true self, his natural form, is healing. His true persona is buried underneath the the hand brainwashing and and it needs a way to get free. So what ends up happening was Gene was going to go in after him and bring him back, not realizing until too late that that was the plan all along uh. to get her in there. And then they, the hand would have both of them. Right. Oh, wow. And it would be unstoppable. It would be Logan and Dark Phoenix together again for the first time. Oh, man. And the world would scream. Except, as she gets overwhelmed by the hand, Logan breaks free and then has to fake it, fake being evil Logan until he can save Gene. Oh, yeah. So this was all going to build up, you know, it was going to be the, the absolute funnest thing ever, building up to... Um, 300 and in the course of the fight uh i was gonna i was seriously considering killing off charlie but the problem well the the objection to it was that logan would have to be dead which is a problem if you're doing the series called logan i mean wolverine (laughs) right (laughs) and of course with my usual brilliant sense of tact my attitude was well shit just tell wolverine stories that predate the moment don't have him involved in current continuity, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Larry thought that was bullshit. Or shock everybody and cancel which the book I for a few months. Which I understand. That was the other suggestion, which went over even less well. Yeah, I bet. But even it couldn't. You could. I mean, you couldn't. 
you couldn't not have the Wolverine series, but at the same time, so long as he was the master assassin of the hand, you could not realistically... It was supposed to be a mystery for a year until we suddenly revealed it. So you'd have to cover for that year in the other titles. Yeah. And even then, it would be another year building up to the big event before you rescued him. So you either did... You either did Wolverine as the adventures of evil Wolverine or, you know, something else, which was considered at the time too Chris-centric a concept, I think, would probably be the most tactful <laughs> way to put it. Yeah. It tended, it tended to make everybody else play second fiddle, which not everyone else appreciated, which I understand totally from a perspective of 20 years later, but, it would, you know, it was... It's a shame because it would have been one hell of a good story. Yeah, yeah. And it would have kept everyone on the edge of their seats. And at the end of which, it would have confronted Gene and Scott and Logan with a really, uh, what do we do now? Mm, Yeah. You know? Wow. But no, I mean, that's the whole, it it was fun. But that, again, the idea with, with Logan is there is so much breadth and depth to who he is in the comic that you could almost get away with anything. And that was, that was the, uh, that was the fun of it. And the sort of joke, I guess, consequence is the further you get into the series, the more you or into the canon, the more you realize what, if, if I'd been able to play it all out the way I showed what was happening in X-Men forever, is that Kitty is the next best thing to his natural daughter as could be wished for. He, she came to be in part because of him. And that, that she is the ultimate inheritor of everything that is scary about him. A claw, the attitude, the, not so much the invulnerability, but the immortality that he has, she ends up with with consequences to be seen down the line. Right. Yeah, that's not going to happen anymore now that they have X-23. Well, it already happened, per se, because that stuff was established in in the brief run of X-Men Forever. But none of, I mean, realistically speaking, none of my visualization continuity slash continuity, that's all, you know, it's done, it's gone, it's old news. This is... Stories told around the campfire, not ever to see print. You know, which is it's that's it's Marvel's check, so it's their prerogative. Don't didn't they start up um, an an X Men ninety two series, um, an ongoing was that ongoing or just a mini series? Because you could jump. I haven't, you you have me at a disadvantage. I don't read the books. <laughs> I think there. I've I've seen it referenced, so I assume, yeah. But, it seems like something you could jump into really easily. No, because I left. Yeah. I mean, why would I want to tell... I don't want to tell Fabian stories. That's, you know, I have... I mean, the first thing I did in, in X-Men Forever was get rid of that damn costume of jeans. <laughs> yeah. Which I... The dumbest ass thing I've ever seen. Well, Much yeah. as I think Jim... Much as I have the utmost respect for Jim, that was... Not one of his most felicitous designs, sadly. Right. <laughs> but also, I mean, 
you know, it's it again. This is time for other writers to play with the play with the toys because I'm you know I have a very specific vision of who these characters are, and even back in the day, Marvel was not comfortable with that simply because things like as I was saying, I wanted Charlie to die or go off into the sunset with Lalandra and live happily ever after, and Magneto to take over the school. I wanted him to reform for no other reason than to leave the space open for someone like the Shadow King or Sinister or some un, as yet uncreated antagonist to take over who was utterly unredeemable and even more terrifying. Right. And more formidable and more ruthless and impressive, you know. Um, so the problem with that was that, that Marvel felt so obliged to embracing Magneto as the X-Men's quintessential adversary that I believe he's actually going to be part of the uh, structure of the Dark Phoenix film since Michael Fassbinder has been spoken of as being cast in it, or, you know, rep reprising his role. Right. Yeah, they're not letting that go. Well, doesn't have anything to do with Dark Phoenix, but there you go. Yeah. Well, we've been chatting for about an hour. Um, you know, it's been interrupted, but about an hour. And uh, so I want to thank you for taking the time to, to speak with us. Um, oh, it's quite all right. My yeah. pleasure. And and thank you for your work on this character over the years and the the uh, the the basis you've given all of these other writers to 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 build on. It's been <laughs> quite, yep, it's been quite a legacy. <laughs> well, you know, it's it the the thing the thing that should be always be remembered is that when you take when you when you are coming in on a series as one of a canon of writers. It always seemed to me that the the first your one's first responsibility, aside from treating the concept and the characters with respect, is to find ways to make the series your own, and to do so in ways that will exhibit the character in even more variety and depth than have been seen previously uh so i i would think for everyone who takes over an x-men or excalibur or if they do that again or wolverine or whatever i would sit there you know as i did when i took over the x-men it's like well stan and and jack did this and roy and neil did that and okay i got dave cockrum how can we do that better right because that's the fun you know Doing the same tropes over and over again, eh, been there, done that. Find a way to exhibit, to ex ex examine and exhibit the characters from perceptions that haven't been seen before, from insights that no one would have anticipated, but for which they all sit back and go, wow, that works. Mm -hmm. You know? Wow. And see where it leads. Yeah. It should always be looked at as a challenge. I mean, if you know, you're, if you're gonna, if you're gonna, if you're gonna sit there and riff on a Dave Brubeck piece, yes, 
Dave Brubeck got there first, but what can you what can you bring to the to the presentation that will make the audience go, "Wow, that's cool." Mhm. Yep. You know. Um, that's all. No. How hard can that be? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think it gets increasingly harder every year as people keep on building and building oh, yeah. and building. No, but, no, you don't have to. You don't have to pay attention. That's true. To all the stuff that's come before, you just have to find a way to take what is most useful and appropriate for yourself, or for your what your instincts and your desires and your visions are, and then run with it and see what happens. Right.